So the hullabaloo over the uh, alleged disaster surrounding uh, Star Wars Rogue One over at Disney, a movie that's supposed to come out this Christmas, began earlier this week when Page Six, which is a sort of online tabloid, um, had some pretty uh, upsetting uh, and drastic reports coming out of the Disney camp. Now, you know, Page Six is, you know, kind of part tabloid, part journalism, but like TMZ, it does occasionally get some stories right and even has broken some big stories in the past, uh, like TMZ. Um, and the number of sites that I trust um, who are re-reporting this story shows that this has been vetted insofar as something like this can be vetted. And even after Disney's denials, there continue to be reports along these lines that are still coming out. And the contract Controversy at hand um, is about the apparent dissatisfaction among some or a lot of the brass at Disney in terms of the direction the movie has gone and where it is just six months before release. But I also really want to talk about how this is symptomatic of something that I've been thinking and you know more recently been talking about in the podcast about you know despite Disney's position really at the top. Of both uh, movies and uh, you know, if you look at the football world, they're right up there with television as well. Um, but it's a precarious position, and they've made some big mistakes across media over the past couple of years. This could be the biggest and most dramatic if the movie bombs, either critically or box office wise, or both. Uh, and so, I think it's interesting to kind of you know look at the signs and wonder if Disney is going to experience a bit of a downturn going forward, at least in the near future. Okay, so Rogue One, the basic narrative is this. Word came out earlier this week about reshoots. Nothing specific, just reshoots. And then word came out that 40% of the movie would be reshot. Shortly after that, they announced or was leaked that they were going to bring in writer-director Christopher McQuarrie to the project. And to his credit, Mr. McQuarrie uh, unabashedly uh, shut down those rumors with words like, that's a bunch of horse shit, and you know where to find me. On his Twitter feed, among other projects, Macquarie was a writer on The Usual Suspects and writer-director on Edge of Tomorrow, a very um, almost legendarily low-earning movie that then became very popular once they sort of changed the name and the marketing campaign. Uh, it became called a sci-fi movie uh, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, so we could throw that aside. Now, it seems almost certain that Tony Gilroy, who has been involved with the Bourne movies, among other movies, and who had apparently done an uncredited rewrite or, or you know, uh, read-through uh, rewrite of this film, Rogue One, which is unbelievable, and his, quote, supervising, if not helming, the reshoots. Unquote. So it's possible that Gareth Edwards, the director of this movie, has been sidelined by Disney from his own movie mere months before it's coming out, which is just so hard to swallow, no matter how you know, potentially bad Disney thought the movie was going to be. So these initial claims came out about all the reshooting and bringing in people, and then Entertainment Weekly, which is really an insider uh, publication and beholden to the movie studios and is kind of a mouthpiece for Lucasfilm and Disney, you know, helps convey all this information that it's all overblown and it's not so bad and blah, 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 blah. But, 
a lot of news sources have been following up, sticking to the original stories, if not, you know, even pushing it further in terms of how radical the changes are. You know, Entertainment Weekly has a close relationship with Disney, and Disney, <laughs> you know, let out all sorts of uh, disclaimers and denials and yada, yada, yada. So not only are publications saying that the original reports were true, but it might even be 50% of the movie and not 40% that they're redoing. It's unbelievable. I mean, I use the word unbelievable, you know, in casual talking, like amazing. Hey, everything's amazing. This is literally unbelievable. I cannot believe that they could redo 40 to 50% of the movie with this little time left. I mean, they have to start scoring in two months. I don't know what the hell they think they're doing. Now, to take a step back, there are no major news sources on any of this stuff yet. Mostly because the New York Times and BBC and The Guardian and The Washington Post have more pressing stories to deal with. So right now we're dealing all with online reports and online reportage. But the sad reality is... Uh, some of these well-read, uh, semi-blog, semi-tabloid sites online when it comes to entertainment news tend to get these things right, or at least get them first, uh, more than mainstream sources. You know, and these uh, secondary websites where I'm reading this stuff are, you know, credible websites as far as my experience has been in the past, and so they're vetting these stories to the extent that they can, and so, you know, I think this is real. I think this is true. I think this is sad. Now, the uh, rumor or claim that is probably the easiest to dismiss is that they focus grouped an early cut of the movie uh, or, or did an advanced screening for people outside of the company, which is somewhat unusual, especially for a property that has such a built-in fan base uh, and that, you know, the movie only has to be above average to do really well. Um, it, it's not like Suicide Squad, which got nervous following Batman v Superman's, uh, you, you know, troubles being too dark and humorless and then they they focus group suicide squad and they decide to throw more humor in, into it this is not that i've heard enough sources that said this did not happen uh the focus grouping or, or, or the you know the focus testing of the movie i don't really know who to believe at this point I, but i don't think that this is the primary reason or a reason at all um, for the dissatisfaction uh, that we're hearing from Disney about this movie. You know, I mean, when you focus group stuff, you don't always get the most intelligent responses. It's easily, uh, it's easy to manipulate uh, focus group uh, people, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, for all their problems, I'd be shocked if, if this were, you know, really the, the reason why Disney's upset. What's more likely and which has been reported uh, in a number of places is that the Disney brass watched it themselves and didn't like it, or at least think it was viable for some reason. If you want a statistical or, or numerical quantification of what's going on, we're hearing that they may be reshooting 40 to 50% of the movie which seems impossible this close to the release in December, that they could fuck up so badly, you know, this near the release date, and in their minds that they fucked up, I'm not sure they fucked up, we'll have to see the finished product and what more, you know, more comes out, uh, I think this is, you know, this is self-censorship, uh, which, you know, Disney is well known for, and is starting to really hurt the diversity and creativity of their projects. There are sources coming out numerous times, 
numerous places. They're reshooting large portions of the movie. Now, they're claiming that these are mostly sort of on set or in the cockpit shots, but no matter how much space combat you, you do, you know, you can't change half the movie that way. But personally, the theory that I think is the correct one, both because it's being reported on numerous uh, websites and podcasts that I, I, I trust, but it also makes sense in 2016 that this would be the case with Disney, which is that Disney thought this movie was too dark. And it's possible that all the main characters were going to die in the suicide mission to get plans to the Death Star, which is exactly what we've been led to believe, based on the original movies, was the case. And so to change this is really absurd. And But this is what I think is going on. You know, this is just symptomatic of Disney's really conservative attitude, which is when they actually get the chance to do or say something progressive and really take a step forward from a social perspective and, and take progressive points of view or talk about politics or society, it always seems to end on the cutting room floor, unless it's Wally. But Rogue One was the dark, uh, or is, hopefully, going to be the dark Star Wars movie that we've been hoping for all of these years. It's called Star Wars. It's war. People die. We've had, you know, seven Star Wars movies now. Almost nobody's died. We've really been hoping for a dark war movie like this in the star wars universe with shake cam over the shoulder you know on the ground combat people dying giving up their lives and if it turns out that this is what disney uh objected to the darker tone of the movie uh, they will have you know lost me or at least lost my trust that they've gained over the course of the last few years based on the output of some great marvel movies and a very solid uh first new star wars movie in the force awakens this movie was never going to be R, a topic which I may get back to, but it should be a hard PG-13 movie. More like The Winter Soldier than The Avengers, if you want to make that comparison. And if that's not the case, and, and they Disneyfy the thing, and make everyone happy-go-lucky, uh, like in the original Star Wars trilogy, it just will feel generic. And, you know, it will be very disappointing to, to fans like me who, who love Star Wars from growing up but have been waiting for something truly different but within the universe. And if that's the case, Disney's going to have to take a long look in the mirror about this situation. I don't know if they feel like they have to go more family-friendly for their image and for their brand. It's possible that they just look at The Force Awakens, which was a family-friendly movie, made $2 billion, and are saying, you know, why mess with the formula? Not realizing that, you know, just because you make it family-friendly does not guarantee $2 billion. I don't understand why they can't do movies with slightly smaller budgets and make, you know, in, in the high seven, eight, nine hundred millions but that are adult and deal with real adult themes and make us actually think and feel as opposed to just watching a movie. And this trend of over-Disneyfication, which we saw with Captain America Civil War, which, you know, tone was way darker than the subject matter. It really never got super political or deep or profound, uh, you know, even while shaking the camera around to make it feel like an adult spy thriller. It was still just you know, a, a cartoony comic book movie, which I, I really enjoyed, but it was a wasted opportunity. And I think just as a quick aside, Black Panther is going to be the true test of this because Black Panther is the one Marvel story um, that is currently in the lineup going forward that is not just um, 
you know, a good place to talk about politics, but specifically about political issues, geopolitical issues concerning Africa and the third world in general. And so if, if that movie comes off generic and doesn't deal with those issues, uh, then we're really going to have a problem because if you can't make it happen in Wakanda with T'Challa, aka Black Panther, you're not going to make it happen anywhere. All of this is to say that this is perhaps the beginning of the end. Certainly not for Disney. Um, it's one of the most profitable companies in the world who own the top three slots in the first half of 2016 with Captain America Civil War, Zootopia, and The Jungle Book, all of which are at or over a million or close. The Jungle Book is almost there and is still in theaters two months after it came out. And all three were, you know, critically acclaimed as well. So from a pure business standpoint, you know, Disney's on fairly solid ground. But when I say beginning of the end, I mean the beginning of the end of, you know, us adults who have really given Disney a pass because the Marvel movies have been so good for the most part across the board. And Force Awakens, while not perfect and slightly generic, uh, was a very good first effort uh, in terms of rebooting the Star Wars franchise. I think most people would agree that, you know, The Force Awakens, while good, was not $2 billion good, but you combine, you know, bringing Star Wars back with a great director and a great cast into desperate, uh, you know, desperation among the populations for a good Star Wars movie, and it's Star Wars. So, you know, it's going to overperform, especially domestically, where it, you know, it crushed both Titanic and Avatar, which hold the worldwide records, but domestically, you know, to hit almost a billion dollars is unprecedented and, you know, is Maybe the coloring uh, uh, Disney's strategy going forward, thinking that they can keep churning out $2 billion movies by sticking to a, a very specific formula, perhaps a formula that Rogue One does not stick to itself. And while I want to keep the focus on uh, the movies and, and the Star Wars movies, uh, you know, in particular with this podcast, it's important to look at some of the other things that are going wrong, or at least just weird, in other parts of the company. They recently fired their COO, who has, you know, overseen a huge expansion of what was already a massive company, um, both qualitatively and quantitatively, and who was, you know, apparently liked within and without the company. You know, we sometimes forget that Disney owns ABC and ESPN, and ESPN has been having some problems. They're so wrapped up uh, with their contracts with the NFL that when a guy like Bill Simmons, who's the most famous podcaster ever and was by far their most creative, versatile, and, and probably hardworking talent they had, he, you know, <laughs> Simmons calls Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, a liar, which he is, and we have evidence that he is, and they end up firing Simmons. Simmons uh, for speaking the truth because it's a conflict of interest. They also lost uh, Colin Cowherd to Fox, um, you know, sort of a divisive radio figure, but I would say the, the smartest and most interesting and different of ESPN's radio personalities, who mostly, outside of Cowherd and Bill Simmons, if you want to count the podcast, are, are pretty bland and unexciting. Cowherd really brought some new stuff to the table. Now he's gone, probably for money reasons as well as creative reasons. When you look at ABC and, and you know, Marvel Studios, you look at the Marvel movies, it looks like a flawless wall of in, you know infinite perfection and yet they can barely sustain any of their marvel properties on abc you know agents of shield is the only one left 
um, is uneven as it's been, its ratings are high enough to keep it going, even though creatively it's stagnant and isn't doing nearly as well as other shows on network television. They canceled Agent Carter, which was also a very flawed show, but was a cool concept, and, and starred really a brilliant actress, I think, in Haley Atwell. And they numerous other shows, including Damage Control and, and Most Wanted. None of these shows are ever going to happen. It's unclear if and when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes off the air, whether they'll even launch another Marvel show on ABC. Now, Disney's been much better at Netflix, uh, with Jessica Jones being the greatest comic book TV show ever, uh, which won a whole host of awards across the spectrum that you'd never expect any comic book property to win. Daredevil's been pretty solid, and while I don't love it, it's extremely well executed, and when you combine a Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and the upcoming Luke Cage as part of the Defenders series... Uh, they're dealing with very serious issues like PTSD and rape and abuse and excessive violence and so forth. That's really become Disney's kind of, um, you know, socially responsible outlet, I suppose you would say. You know, you can go more adult, you have more autonomy, and this is where Disney is really succeeding from a creative standpoint. And yet, you know, they don't put their name anywhere near the property. It's not unusual for any of the Marvel films. Um, you know, it, never see Disney's name except in the closing credits. Uh, it's interesting to think, why, you know, as the sort of Uber brand over the sub brand, why they'd want to take their name off of it. It's not uncommon, but it is a noticeable absence of the Disney name on these, you know, highly successful and brilliant Netflix properties. With Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Disney seems to be afraid to associate itself <laughs> with responsible portrayals of real violence or rape or, you know, sexual domination or torture or, or so forth. I mean, it's, it's not just that they're doing it like Game of Thrones. They're doing it in a responsible way that's still gripping and original at the same time. And for Disney to... Not be separating themselves or distancing themselves, but not embracing it and throwing their name at the top. I don't understand why. Jessica Jones is beloved by so many diverse, smart, interesting people across the country. Why would Disney not want to? These are the most adult and mature properties they've ever had. And they just put on Netflix and act like it's not even connected to Disney Company. But we can't get a Rogue One War movie? I really don't understand. So while I suppose, I hope that they want these Netflix properties to succeed, Disney seems to be afraid to associate itself openly. Okay, so let's bring it back to Rogue One and Star Wars and what's going on moving forward as we wrap this baby up. Now forget for a minute the specific logistics of what may or may not be going wrong right now with the Rogue One production. And let's not forget to mention Kathleen Kennedy, who's the head executive producer at Lucasfilm, the same way Kevin Feige is at Marvel, and who has a lot to answer to about the situation, if in fact it is a situation. But it's possible that Disney just doesn't get Star Wars, even though it seems like such a natural fit. But when you compare it to Marvel, Marvel actually fits in a lot more easy. I mean, it fits in a lot easier. Even Age of Ultron, uh, which was in some ways the most out there, uh, I think in a good way, of the Marvel movies... And that's why it has some mixed reception among fans and critics, I suppose, even though it made almost a billion and a half like the first Avengers movie made. There was a Pinocchio theme, which was very explicit in Ultron that Joss Whedon did want to do and was one of those connections with Disney that I think he was really excited about. 
you know, Ultron was would talk about being tangled in strings, and he would sing little bits in a very creepy, disturbing way uh, from the Pinocchio movie. So there's some great synergy there. I mean, comic books, it's like a cartoon. The X-Men and Batman animated series were considered excellent for their time and their age group and are still talked about today. You know, I mean, the X-Men animated series and the, uh, the Batman animated series, especially the Batman animated series, is considered some of the best properties ever related to comic books and their cartoons. So maybe we get X-Men back at Disney and we get an updated uh, X-Men cartoon. That would be pretty fucking cool. But when you look at Star Wars, you look at George Lucas, you know, his personal reviews or reception of Star Wars The Force Awakens and the sort of Disney Star Wars project in general has been somewhat mixed, as you might expect. You know, at first, like other people, I just thought it was sour grapes. But now I'm starting to think that he's you know, accurately hinting at what might be the case, which is that Star Wars was really a property for the late 70s and 80s. As much as we have wanted to reboot it, but Lucas himself failed so horribly in doing so, that even if you get the best sort of overall sci-fi director out there, um, other than Joss Whedon, who's J.J. Abrams, who did The Force Awakens, and that Abrams could reboot this franchise and that it would make $2 billion, which is indeed the case, but with Gareth Edwards and Ryan Johnson and these guys bringing in young directors, it's not the same as bringing in young directors for the Marvel franchise, also owned by Disney. If you just look at Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn, who is a respected but not very famous or well-established sci-fi you know, director slash writer, no one knew anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy, so he had complete freedom to do what he wanted. It's the opposite of Star Wars. In Star Wars, you're stuck in a mythology that was set up many, many, many decades ago. And despite all the books and the video games and the forums and everything else, you know, you're still dealing with a property from 1977 to 1983. In a time when considerations about, you know, films were much different than they are now. My final thought is, all of this talk about Rogue One, if it turns out to be true, if it turns out to be not true, somewhere in the middle, has made me very introspective about uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. A movie that came out last Christmas that I think I saw four times. And I should say, it's well agreed upon, at least among my friends who are interested in the stuff, that the second viewing is way, way, way better than the first viewing, which is my experience with most movies, actually. But this one in particular, and this uh, rewatchability really worked in the movie's favor in that the first watching was fun enough to get you there for the second. And then when you really like the second, you might go, like me, for a third or fourth. But every time since then that I'm about to push the on-demand rent button, I just never end up doing it. And while four times is a lot of times to see in the theater, I've seen other movies more, both in the theater and afterwards, and it's been a while since Christmas. It's been six months. But I still remember almost every scene so vividly, it was so beautifully imagined and realized. And as I mentioned before, sometimes being, you know, sort of rewatchable is just as good as being super rewatchable. You know, sometimes movies like this make such an impression that you, you know, it's so in your head, you don't need to keep watching it over and over again. That's a compliment to the movie. It's not like, you know, The Winter Soldier, The Matrix Reloaded, where there's just so many great hand-to-hand fights that you want to just watch over and over and over again. Uh, As good as The Force Awakens was, and as so clearly superior as it was to the Star Wars prequels, nevertheless, looking back and having time to digest it, 
it was actually a similar feeling to when I watched the prequels. It's that feeling of, man, I'm so glad to have Star Wars back, but it just feels like out of time, out of place. And look, I'm really able to work Star Trek into my podcast, other than by, uh, I think it was Bizzlecast 30 with Matt Goisman, a.k.a. Maddie G, a.k.a. Goose, where we were specifically going to talk about Star Trek and still ended up talking about Star Wars most of the time, because that's our culture. But while Maddie G and I love, you know, the Star Trek series, uh, even uh, Bizzlecast contributor like Aaron Slavutin loved the Star Trek reboots, and we talked about that on air numerous times. It's so fascinating and even ironic. Uh, we can already tell from the Star Trek Beyond trailer, and there's a reason they got Justin Lin from Fast and Furious with his whole cinema, uh, cinematographic team. You know, considering the Fast and Furious movies make a billion dollars a pop at this point is very appealing, but it's... It also works with the Star Trek dynamic set up by J.J. Abrams, which is so crazy to think about. I mean, J.J. Abrams lined up what was a slow, slow, slow moving property, Star Trek that is, into, a, you know, the sci-fi film version of the Fast and the Furious. Who saw that coming? So you've got the original Star Trek series all the way into the mid to late 90s with Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and the failed Star Trek Enterprise attempt. The stories are incredibly slow-moving. The character arcs can take seasons and seasons and seasons for even minor change. It's mostly scientific lingo, very little actual action. And so, who would have guessed that in the first couple decades of the new millennium, that the fast-paced, exciting, fun, kinetic, uh, non-traditionally shot sci-fi movie franchise would be Star Trek and not Star Wars? And that Star Wars would feel a little plotting uh, compared to the Star Trek reboot movies. Never would have been the case of the past. But after a fun, if somewhat plotting, episode 7, The Force Awakens, with Rogue One, this seemed like the most fun and the darkest and the coolest Star Wars movie yet. It's like The Empire Strikes Back, but ten times darker. It was supposed to end ten minutes before A New Hope begins, so we'd see a, a, you know, a young Princess Leia at the Corvette running from the Star Destroyer. I mean, this is what's so crazy, is they specifically say in the movie that spies died in order to get this information about the Death Star. And now, it seems like they might be turning the suicide mission from a suicide mission into not a suicide mission. And so not only are they insulting Gareth Edwards' work on this movie, but they're insulting all of us who expected that outcome. We expected them to die to get this information because we know Star Wars and we know that's what happened. This stinks like to high hell, like Lucas from the prequels. This amount of control and subjugation of, of creativity, it's so, it's so upsetting. You know, you don't kill the Suicide Squad, if you will, that gets the plans. It lowers the stakes. I'm always complaining about Disney and Marvel, you know, even Star Wars The Force Awakens, never setting the stakes of killing civilians. I mean, in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot in 2009, which I might get back to, which was a much better film than Force Awakens for my money, uh, but, and this is someone who's grow, you know, who grew up loving both Star Trek and Star Wars. That, that's the best science fiction movie of the last you know, decade or so. You know, they blow up an entire planet. They they destroy Vulcan, and they show you the misery. It's still a PG-13 movie. You can still show it to your 11-year-old. I don't know what's happening inside the culture at Disney when it comes to this stuff. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. 
But with the violence, they don't show it. They imply it. They tell us. We never see it. You know, the Death Star is blowing up planets. We see nobody die. I mean, The Force Awakens presentation was better than the script. You know, the actors and the execution were well above the script, which I realized the director was also the writer or co-writer with J.J. Abrams, who wrote with Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, it was a solid script, but it was definitely made into a you know, well-above-average movie because of directors and actors. And this is exactly why... Disney is trying to groom their own people, like in Marvel with the Russo brothers and James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy, Russo brothers with the Captain America movies and now the Avengers movies, is that they can have a level of control over them creatively that they wouldn't have or can never have over someone like Joss Whedon. But my guess is that Rogue One, assuming it had some dark humor, would be exactly the kind of movie that Joss Whedon would love as a sci-fi nerd, uh, you know, as a, a bat and the unabashed Star Wars fan. And, you know, they should be listening to guys like him and letting these movies roll. You know, J.J. Abrams was perfect for uh, the, the relaunch with Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. He would make it look great. It would be professional from top to bottom. It would be entertaining. It would be colorful. It would be fun. And he nailed all of that. But I think once the Josh Trank incident happened, I won't go too far into it, but Josh Trank, who did Chronicle, and who seemed like he was going to do the finally the good Fantastic Four movie. Then it turned out he was having major personal problems during the making of that movie, and then it came out horribly, and nobody saw it, and it lost a lot of money. Josh Trank was supposed to do one of the uh, follow-up Star Wars movies. I think ever since Disney you know, realized how wrong they were about him, it's been influencing in a negative way, an exaggerated way, their assessment of other young talent that they have. So to wrap this up quickly, because I pretty much said everything I've wanted to say, this is a larger concern with Disney. And even if Rogue One turns out to be better than we think it's going to be, and the controversy less than we thought it might be, I would be thrilled. <laughs> you know, I'd be thrilled to be wrong about this whole thing. But I have a, I have a scent. I have a, uh, a, a little tingle on my neck I get with these sort of situations. And this is falling into that category. The bottom line is, I was hoping that the standalone Star Wars movies, if not the trilogy Star Wars movies, and I'm not, you know, giving up hope on that would actually be cooler than any of the Marvel stuff. Even though I grew up loving comic books, Star Wars is still the transcendent property. And so if you're not willing to use your power and your authority and your popularity and your success and your you know critical acclaim and so forth to tackle some slightly deeper issues, then this is really revealing the soft and vulnerable underbelly of Disney. And maybe that will be good, ultimately, in opening to other studios. In the meantime, for the sake of Felicity Jones and Gareth Edwards and Forrest Whitaker and everybody involved, I, I am hoping for a success here. You know, people accuse me of rooting for BVS, Batman v Superman, to fail. Uh, if you listen to my podcast, that's not the case. I was actually rooting for it to succeed. I just had to make fun of it because it was so bad. I really hope this doesn't happen with Rogue One. Uh, but when you have good actors, and I think Earth Edwards is a good director, they might still be able to pull it off despite these problems. But this is what you deal with with major studios. I mean, this is the fallout. You can't just have you know entertaining popcorn movie after entertaining popcorn movie, etc. at all. Um, and so the lesson here is blockbuster movies are what they are. 
and the strengths and weaknesses are always going to be there. So I appreciate you listening to this. Hopefully all will turn out well in the world of Felicity Jones and Rogue One. I'm sure I'll be revisiting this soon, and the bizzle is out.